Okay, this is a Game Dev Grit podcast, and we're jumping right into it because we don't mess around here. And today's guest is Ripley. Ripley, tell us about yourself. Uh, hi, I'm a I'm a student of computer game design at university, pursuing a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in computer game design. And yeah, currently a sophomore, two years in, two more years to go, hopefully, assuming nothing goes wrong. And what kind of experience have you had in games, making games, other people's games, your games, all that stuff? Just throw it out there. Uh, Developing my own games, most of my games have been developed as part of my course curriculum, as part of my design classes. The way the major is constructed, it's semester-long courses, and most of them, the first half of the semester is spent uh, like learning the basics of whatever thing we're working with. Like this semester, I, it was all about making games on Unreal, and the second half was more of a studio class where I get together with a team of other people and we put together a game in whatever thing we're working with. Oh, excellent. So you probably ran into tons of landmines. Tell us about the landmines that you ran over in your various projects. Uh, the main landmine I've run into is just overscoping. So thinking you have more time or more resources or more experience creating the thing than uh, you do actually in order to like make a functional project. So... Yeah, one of the things, so the current game we're working on right now is like a floor is lava type game, but set in an office building where you're trying to get from one floor to the next without touching any of the floors. It's a third person, uh, fully uh, 3D game. So yeah, we're making it unreal. Yeah, the main thing we're running into is just the original one was supposed to have stealth elements, and we only have one person on our team who's really good at programming. The rest of our team is all modelers. So... We just don't have the technical know-how to create everything we had originally set out to. So from that one, overscoping, which is a huge one for me too, and I'm sure a lot of people. So what approach do you take on the project after that to make to scope down or to make sure that things are doable? I occasionally watch GDC talks, and the main thing they do to re- they recommend to fix that sort of thing is assume everything will take twice as long as you expect it to. Okay, yeah, that's like, that's like budgeting, right? When you're paying for stuff and you're like, you always want to have like 125% of the money, you know, because you always go over budget. So it's like, so factoring in, okay, like a time budget by doubling. Yeah, assume everything is going to take longer, be harder, and just generally take more work than you originally expected to. Okay, and I'll do my best when we're mentioning um, articles, videos, GDC talks, I'll try to get the information and post them in the show links. So anything we talk about, you should be able to go check it out. Overscoping. So that's just like, like me. I I'm gonna. I just started making games. My first mistake for me was I'm gonna make 3D games, just in my experience. Um, and then and then I'm gonna make this huge, gigantic universe game that's 100 hours long. You know, that has 800 abilities, like Overscope, right? So I, I think what I've seen a lot of and um is the way to kind of mitigate that is like there's a, a lot of different there's i think mit developed it i'll post the article but it's a seven day prototyping protocol and just the stuff that forces you to get to the root of your game as fast as possible so that you actually know what the game is and then you know that allows you i think to get rid of stuff to be like now nah, this isn't really a stealth game you know so I, that's something i came across that i think did, did they teach you stuff like that about rapid prototyping in school Rapid prototyping, unfortunately not. We unfortunately very cover very little of like design theory when we're putting together games. However, one thing the major is very good at doing is because we have such little time, it does force us to learn 
not so much time management skills, but learn how long it takes everything to make, how long it takes to make everything. How much do they go into like the planning phase? Because the stuff, the reason I call this game design, game dev grit is because when I went out there as someone who's just on the internet trying to learn game development, I found a lot of stuff about high level game design like game design documents and all, a lot of the high level stuff, but very little stuff on the low level. Like, okay, I know I'm supposed to draw a game map, right? But then how do I tie like the locks and keys mechanisms in my game to the actual map? And when this item is required here and all this, like, how do you manage all that? Do the, do, did you learn or what do they teach you about low level game design? Unfortunately, very little. It's, a weird fact of life that I've honestly learned more through just browsing online and looking at various internet videos than I have in a lot of my courses, at least in terms, at least as far as design theory is concerned. Like the way the major is constructed, it's designed to give you a lot of experience with a lot of different engines to learn how to develop games, but depressingly little is spent actually learning what makes a good level versus a bad level. Uh, learning how to like budget time, things like that. Yeah, because in in my experience as a civilian game developer, um, it was like, okay, I know how to use the engine. I know how to use all these features. I know this high level design. But then when it came down to actually making this stuff work in a bigger project and little tiny projects, it doesn't really matter. But when you're doing anything that's bigger, and then I just felt like I was lost in the woods. Like, what am I doing? What's happening? And I couldn't track anything. So my struggle recently has been just trying to like manage that low level stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's very unfortunate because there's not a lot of resources I've been able to find for like specific low level design things in terms of specific low level design documents in terms of how have previous games put together their jump systems, how high and how long have they had them jump in order to like make for a satisfying game feel. You basically, we have basically had to puzzle that out on our own every single time we created a new thing. Yeah, like like this, like you're mentioning jumps. So say when you're laying out your level, like drawing your map or however you're doing it. Okay, you say the player has a jump. All right, how do you lay out your level, and you know, and have something as a reference to know how far, you know, like how high should this ledge be? How high does a player jump? How do you map all that stuff out? Yeah, that's especially complicated in three dimensional space, considering most of the planning tools like even making a paper prototype it's not really optimized for three-dimensional space it's designed for 2d uh like oh hey there's a block here and a block here but you have no idea how high or high how low those things are supposed to be yeah and i, I mean that's one of the things where i said my mistake was um going in a 3d because i learned that fast that like whoa there's so much to be learned i mean most of the fundamental game development stuff doesn't have anything to do with 2D or 3D, you know, the whole game economy and all that stuff. But then when, yeah, 2D at least, I guess you could do it on graph paper or something like that and then and then use the cubes. But yeah, 3D is just like a, whoa, this is crazy. Yeah, it's just been a lot of trial and error and a lot of figuring things out as we go. And Honestly, online resources have been immensely helpful in terms of figuring out design philosophy on a lot of these things. What are some of the more um, helpful things you found? I'll post them in the show notes. You can just describe them. Uh, some of the more helpful things I found, uh, the YouTube series Extra Credits, unbelievably helpful. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if you follow them at all. Is that where they, yeah, they like break down games? Like they go into the theory behind the game and try to break down systems and games and things like that? Uh, extra Credits? Uh, no, it's... 
uh, like they go into a specific design principle. A lot of it is high level, a lot of it is low level, a lot of it is just uh, this game was good or this game was bad for reasons. So they've been going for like 10 years now, so they've got a w- very wide array of subjects. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I can post, yeah, I'll post them in the Discord after we chat, but the other thing is uh, GDC lectures. And which ones did you find particularly helpful? They have some really good ones on putting together a portfolio. Yeah, just because I'm taking portfolio classes right now, and they're pretty useful, but just having that specific insight from people who are currently hiring, amazingly useful. And then there was one on games, are games art, and it was a very compelling argument back and forth on just the broader philosophy of the idea. I guess when I think about that, if I went, like if you go the games or art route, then you really can't do anything wrong. <laughs> you know, oh, as yeah. far as like make having your game be broken and all this stuff. It's like, well, it's art. Like art yeah. can't be broken. But um Yeah, no, this game isn't very fun. Yeah, it's not fun on purpose. It's art. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so it's like Yeah, no, it's yeah, this thing is bad. No, it's bad on purpose. Yeah, it's self-defeating argument. I don't think I'd want to do this podcast and talk to people to try to figure out these issues, the answers of these problems, if we were all making art games, because then we wouldn't have any issues. <laughs> it's like, why is my game running at two frames per second? Do I need to optimize <laughs> it? No, man, it's it's art. Like, just oh yeah, it. yeah. I mean, the more interesting thing for me is that recently I've just been trying to play more and more of the like critically acclaimed games, but they're just not viscerally fun to play. Like, I've been trying to play uh, Lisa, that game, yeah, Undertale from a few years ago, and this indie game called Off. I really like the styles of all of them, but they're just viscerally not fun. I, I don't, like, I've played, I think, all of those. I've tried them. And um, I think there's, this, like, this, it started around, like, the indie game phenomenon when it became a thing. And it kind of just, I felt like people just became infatuated with, like, it's an indie game! And, like, got into this, like, mass hysteria and then like if you go back like 20 you know or go forward like 20 years later i think people look at those games and be like what is this i'm not saying they're bad whatever people you know i'm just in my opinion there was a time um when a lot of these games came out and people just were like infatuated with them because it was like a thing and if you if you happen to get in at that time now you're famous and then any game you make is just like it's by the guy who did the thing nostalgia that's just my opinion though doesn't really have much to do game design but oh yeah yeah i mean I like to think it along the lines of like classic film, like Battleship Potemkin. If you watch it today, I mean, it's not a very amazingly good film. It's incredibly influential and there's stuff to admire about it, but it's kind of been outmoded since then. That's something that I've been like, you know, my, my well, if you, my background's in animation and filmmaking. So getting into game development, the natural thing, the thing that would make sense would be make like point and click adventure games or some kind of narrative driven games. But those aren't the games I like. So unfortunately, those aren't the games I'm trying to make where it would be really easy to do those. I oh, mean, yeah. in, in the grand scheme, but I've chosen the more difficult path of non-art um, action. What am I? I'm doing a third-person action platformer right now. So in 3D. Yeah, I mean, one area I've been increasingly interested in is like, darn it, what are they called? Fixed camera games, like the classic Resident Evil game. Yes, yeah, cinematic games, but also more dynamic control of the camera. You can do more interesting things with the camera just because I don't believe like we fully maxed out on the potential of all the things we can do with that yet. Way, I mean, games are really young and I was just thinking 
on my own when you have like the the way your camera works can make your game infinitely more difficult like definitely a fixed camera would kind of take that out of the equation as far as being something that's a question mark because uh but doing like a free roaming camera that has collisions and stuff like that's what i have in my current game it's just a nightmare to get it working so that would make that simple too and allow you to focus on other things oh yeah yeah i mean the main thing is just figuring out how to have a free-floating camera that increases like the range of interesting visual things you can do while also not making the game frustrating to play. Because you, you don't want to let your obtuse artiness uh, get in the way of having a functional game. So that can be something, though. You could, like, I'm, I'm sure, you know, if you wanted to be, the, like, someone that was resourceful, like, slippery, could make, like, a game with sort of working mechanics but then push it off as the obtuseful artfulness or, you know, and then like mm. it could work. And, you know, maybe that is a line. Like if you're the engineer type, the engineer brain, like the programmer brain, like everything has to be perfect. And, you know, you can't allow any use cases where things are broken, which then can like stifle your productivity and sometimes development. And maybe it's some stuff that maybe most people wouldn't even care about. But so if you had a little bit of that, uh, but it's my artful expression, it could, maybe speed up your development. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are specific instances where you can sacrifice fun in the name of having a more interesting artistic whole. Yeah, like one of the things, uh, YouTuber Mr. Beatung, if you're familiar with him, he created a interesting thing on the idea of Dark Souls as the Exomped Kunstfer. Oh, yeah, really interesting video, really interesting guy. Uh, yeah, it's the idea of a holistic art artistic experience that's taken the term is taken from a wagner who was talking about creating a holistic artistic experience within theater by combining all the stagecraft all the dancing all the music to create a holistic piece of art that it wasn't just the music it wasn't just the acting that made the thing good it, it, the entire thing taken as a whole is the art piece yeah like i was just reading a game design book and i'm saying the the game, the experience of the game is the entire experience. You know, yep. everything in it, like the menus, the packaging of the game, all that stuff. So it's not like just your mechanic for the character. Yeah. Yeah. So often within like arty type games, there's a instinct to of, oh, the story is what makes this game good. The visual style is what makes this thing good, as opposed to focusing on the game as a whole. Is there any direction that they push you in like in the school where you study as far as an approach to game design like that it's notionally a liberal arts thing so we're learning bits and pieces of everything so i'm required to take like two audio classes i'm taking two 3d modeling classes two design classes but it's kind of lopsided so we're not required to take any programming classes oh, is there like a game so you're on the game development track is that what it would be yes yeah so i'm on like the game design class which is part of the college of arts as both the College of Science. Have you um, had any game design classes yet? Yeah, I've taken two game design classes, and both of them have been more studio-focused. My first game design class was actually basically just a, this is what a video game is, this is what a level is, and it was utterly unhelpful. Really? Yeah. Yeah, this is what a video game is, this is what a level is. Yeah, video games have these things called characters in them. We spent an entire class learning what the different genres were, which was simultaneously incredibly vague and incredibly broad. Oh man, I would have asked for a refund after that class. Uh, I, I came very close. I 
came very close several times to like looking to change my major, but then I got some scholarship money, so I decided to stay in. Okay, so then you find yourself searching the internet for that game dev grit, like the important stuff. Yeah, because... Yeah, yeah, following people on Twitter, following uh, different YouTube people, looking for different resources, very helpful. Yeah, because I've been searching the internet, I've been reading all the books, but I still find very little stuff on the low-level game design. Like, there was this one book, it's um, Game Design Theory and Practice, is what it's called, and that had like a real example from the old game the suffering where it had the maps of the levels and then it had a listed description of all the game events so like let's say the the level was called death house it would be like dh this would be a written list dh01 man walks in or character walks into the cell and then this cutscene happens dh02 and it went through the whole game and then on the map the drawn map, it listed where DH1 took place, DH2 took place. And I found that really, really helpful to be able to tie the game events to the locations. That's something that's really, really hard to find. Oh, yeah. Wow, that sounds amazingly helpful. Yeah, there, there's that. And then there was a... I'll post it in the, in the links, too. There's a Grim Fandango's low-level game design document you can find. But outside of those, I really couldn't find anything on the low-level, like how you actually do that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was like one, there's one 3D model modeler I follow on Twitter named Delaney King. Uh, she's a 3D modeler and occasionally, yeah, I asked her a question on 3DS Max and its use within the industry and gave a very detailed answer on how it's used within the industry and what skills you should be learning if you're planning on like getting into AAA design. But the, yeah, if you ever, if you ever come into the crazy world of that low level design, yeah, there's very few resources. So, so I was hoping in this podcast of like getting into that stuff with people and their their strategies and what they did. Like, um, did you have to draw any level maps or any of that stuff for any of your projects? Yep, yep. I've had to draw level maps. I've had to create paper pro- prototypes for my games. I've had to uh, create design documents. A lot of them were kind of tangential to the actual education. The teachers assigned them, but they didn't seem all that interested in like how they turned out so it was more just like crossing it off on the list of assignments as opposed to really doing really getting invested in and critiquing how they turned out like let's say you're a sophomore you said in your program so as you're going forward what are the things that like in your brain as you're doing these projects you're screaming out like wait i need to know this how what how do i do this what are those things yeah specific things that I wish the program was teaching me, but that I don't, spe- but that aren't specifically being taught. What makes a good versus a bad level? There are very broad, like educational things on. Oh, hey, don't don't have dead ends, or don't, uh, or make sure that the ed- level flows smoothly. But I'm not sure what a smooth, smoothly flowing level looks like, and they never gave me any like reference images for this is a good level versus this is a bad level. And as a consequence, it's just been trial and error. Isn't that like what what I found is particularly terrifying when you go to like gray box a level? Yeah, and you're like, what do I do here? Where does this path go? Why? Why should there be should there be a window here? I don't know. Should the right like that stuff of yeah, what makes a yeah, what makes a good level versus what makes a bad level? Uh, how 
complicated should I make this as opposed to just a series of interconnected boxes? Something that I found, because that was something that was really, really getting me once I came to doing the gray boxing for my current game, just like, what am I doing? Why? And a thing that really helped me, um, are you familiar with the, the YouTube channel Game Maker's Toolkit? Oh, yeah, I follow them. They're great. So he did this thing, and there's articles about it, too. It's like the Nintendo... Um, it's a guy who made... I forgot what Mario game. One of the Mario games. But it's this Japanese concept called Kishoten Kits. And it comes from from designing manga, where it's just like this four-part thing, where it's like... And he likens it, if you go watch the video, I'll post the link, where it's where you introduce a mechanic, and then you have them use the mechanic, and then you have them, like be challenged with the mechanic and then you like or you flip the mechanic in some strange way you change it and then you you I'll give them some prize or allow them to have fun with it it's called key show 10 kits so if you read the articles about that and this is something that's been helping me so it's like this is like the nintendo based design where everything's about the mechanics so what has really helped me with the level design is that like okay what's my level all right what mechanics am i going to use or what items am i going to use in this level what are, you know, which ones are featured? And then for each mechanic or item, I'll break down its key show 10 kits. And then, so I'll say like, okay, you get a jump. All right, you just got a jump. Okay, so there's going to be a pit you have to jump over. And then, so that's like the, sh the show. And then the 10 where you like flip it, be like, okay, you need to jump over this pit, but there's spikes on the ceiling. And then there's like a little platform that moves, it blocks a spike. So you have to get in the point where the, where the spikes are not, and then jump over. So then, I do that for all the items and mechanics. And then when I'm designing the actual level, I'm like, okay, this is the passageway where they're gonna jump over the thing. Now here's this. And it's really helped me um, figure out what goes where in the level and why. Yeah, that sounds absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I'd love to watch that video after you, after we wrap this up. Yeah, so there's a couple, I'll post all the links because what I'm trying to figure out, like in my experience making films and animation and music and all this stuff, that I've been making, it's all about the workflow. Like, what is the order? What is the proper order? What do I do when, right? Which helps you schedule, helps you budget. And so I'm just trying to figure out what is the workflow for 3D level design for games. And this thing was really helpful. I'm still working on it. Um, and one of our, the third, I think of the third episode, I'm gonna talk to a guy who I've been discussing with this through email. And so we'll probably talk about it more, but, um, I find, because I guess if you read some articles, they talk about like two main um, level design or game design philosophies. So it'd be like the Western narrative driven design and then the Eastern, the Japanese Kisho Tenkets, like the traditional, you know, Nintendo. And so it's like, if you look at those two, it's like, okay, you're going to go do story driven. Okay. So then everything in your level is there for the story. Oh, this is where that guy runs and breaks in the window. Then he's going to jump into this pit. Versus if you go the Japanese way, then, you know, something like that was just my idea, but um, something like that, I think. But either way, I think you have to choose, you know, like, is it narrative or is it the Japanese mechanics based? Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the more interesting things I learned was that uh, on the Wolf new Wolfenstein games being developed by Machine Games, I believe it was, they actually had two different teams of designers working on the same game at the same time. There are the people who are making the game as a whole, like the levels you play through. And then there are the designers who are working on the narrative bits. So they're the ones who are designing the hallways where the cutscenes take place. 
So at one point there is a like window you burst through and then there's a room full of Nazis and you shoot them up. That room was designed by a group of people separately than the people who are making the rest of the level. Okay. Yeah, and it kind of shows at some points because, yeah, this was immediately after the moon level. It's a very poorly designed room because the most optimal strategy for getting through it is to literally stay at the very start of the room and just hide behind a wall because there is no cover in the rest of it. So the the other thing I found helpful, I don't know if you came across this book, it's called like a level design. There's a website called World of Level Design. And the guy that runs that wrote a book called like Level Design Blueprint. I'll post a link to it. But for his like level breakdowns, he has, there's a bunch of stuff he goes over. But one of the main ones was like having a focal point, like a visual for every level. So like the giant tower, you know, you can see from far away or like, the the scary prison cells whatever so like every area in the level has a focal point that's one just to kind of like hey what's the important thing in my area and then another one for his actual to drive the mechanics or what's going on he does this objective obstacle set piece thing where it's like for every area there should be an objective like escape the city and then obstacle uh the horde of zombies in front of the bridge and then the set piece would be like you kill the zombies and then a cutscene plays that blows the bridge up. So now you have another ob- ob- objective. Get out of the city through another way. What's the obstacle? So he does this objective obstacle set piece thing. Hmm. So And I, I found that really helpful too where it's just like – and then in his book, but you can find it online. I'll post a link to it. He advises drawing these little bubble charts where you have like first objective and then the obstacle, and then you draw a line to the next objective and then it's obstacle. And then if it causes a set piece or quote scripted event, you add that in and then scripted events that happen after you overcome an obstacle, beat the zombies, climb the tower or whatever it may be, then those can create new obstacles or new objectives. And then he goes to this loop. I found that book, the book from world of level design really helpful too. One of the few things. Hmm. Yeah, designing around specific moments as opposed to, like, a series of rooms. Yeah, because the thing that really I struggle with is just, like, what happens where, when, why. You know, like you were saying. Like, yeah, yeah. How, yeah, why, where, when. Yeah, yeah. How are you supposed to pace, the, pace these things out? How many rooms? How, how is everything supposed to flow together? Well, I guess, like, by doing that, I mean, you can plan things out all you want, right? We can have, like, brilliant planning. And then I guess, because, you know, the, in doing anything, the first pass is the hardest. You know, it's a lot easier to edit some writing that you already wrote than it is to write from nothing. So with the level design, too, it's a lot easier to change an existing level design than start from nothing. So maybe a lot of these strategies are just about getting your first pass down, you know, having a strategy to get a first pass and then you play test it and then you can start figuring out, you know, the pacing and stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, the one of the greatest mantras of game development is just fail faster. Yeah, the sooner that reminds me of something. I saw this lecture by this guy who's the fail failure expert at Google, and he came up with this thing called pretendo typing or preto typing. If you search for that, he has a free PDF like book, and his thing was that exact thing: how to fail the fastest and the cheapest. So he has all these techniques to like pretendo type whatever it is you're trying to do um and gives all these examples through history and stuff of how people did that but yeah like because that's one of the things you know when you think about games i've done it i mean a lot of people it's like i have this amazing idea for a game and then it lives in someone's head 
or even on paper for the longest time before they actually ever like prototype it and see what it really is. And then you've spent all this time and energy and resources and then you finally start like doing it and then it's terrible, you know, and it's like, yeah, I think the sooner you can see what your idea really is, what it plays like, of course, the better. Mm. And um, Derek, you, the guy who made Spelunky has some awesome articles. I'll post those too about like how to finish a game. And he talks about that. Um, about like you don't have hmm. yeah yeah that sounds amazing like there's no game until you can play something and if you can't play it yet then make something you can play yep yeah it's all about having something you can finish and then iterate upon as opposed to having something completely finished the first time yeah because i think about when if we're if we're not actually prototyping and playing the game it's like thinking about dancing like how would i dance hmm, i would move my leg and then twist my head but it's like no dude you need to dance so it's like mm. with the game a game idea like make the game you can't just think about it you have to play it you know if it's meant to be played i think uh ripley it would be a lot easier if we just made mind video games right that took place in people's minds (laughs) yeah yeah i mean that's what the end goal of what is it like the hollow deck is it's like my obtuse artful game that takes place in your mind has amazing mechanics yep yeah yeah this game will cause you to ponder death and literally nothing else Meanwhile, Call of Duty 50 years from now will just be a shot of endorphins straight into your brain for about four hours at a time. Our mind game with no mechanics might cause depression and or suicide. (laughs) Of game development might also cause those things. But I was going to say, I've made a bunch of different things in my life, but definitely trying to make a big video game like I am is the most difficult thing I've ever tried. It's... A lot more difficult than, than making a full-length animated 3D movie by yourself because that because it's static. You know, the all those types of linear media are just static. Like, you finish 20 minutes of the film, that thing's locked in. You know, you can't ruin it. But in a game, you can break the entire game at any part of the process, you know? So yep. it's like, yeah, and it's a lot less rewarding in terms of progress. So you can, like, mark out how much of a film you've finished as opposed to games where it's... I've I may have finished like half the game or I may have just chipped through like five percent. I have no idea how to tell. Oh, that or at least up, that brings some important thing. How to track where we are in our game. How do we do that? Yep. Yeah, and that's part of why the larger game industry probably has such a big problem with just management and everything. You hear more and more about just constant crunch time within these big studios and everything makes a lot more sense. Have you done that in the projects you've done so far? How do you know what parts of the project are in what phase? Generally, yeah, I've just used Excel documents in the past and uh, coordinated with, yeah, Excel documents are really good for that just because you can quickly, quickly tick off what you have and just constantly update the files you have. So for, I've been wor- working on a bunch of uh, 3D models this semester. So it's been, just been, hey, the thing is modeled now. Hey, the thing is UV'd now. Hey, this thing has a texture now. Hey, this thing has a rigging now. Hey, this thing is animated now. If you could, just, could you just take a screenshot of one of your Excel tracking things and we'll post it in the show notes? Uh, sure thing, yeah. Yeah, I'll see what I can do there. Is that something that I've been um, struggling with too? Is just like, so let's say you're gray boxing one of your levels. There's still some mechanics that are required for some other part of the game that need to be polished or whatever um there's all these different things you have all these different levels how do you keep track of what level is where um 
And I, yeah, like you said, Excel, I've been playing around with checklists. I've been using this notebook, Zoho notebook, which just allows you to create checklists. So I just created this template checklist for all the things that need to be done per level. Like um, fill out all the level area, names, themes, focal points, all the different things. And so far it's okay, but I find that's a real tough thing too, to know where everything is. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is slightly mitigated for me because I'm working with a team on this. So therefore, I personally don't have to worry about how like the programming is coming along or how the textures are coming along. I only have to worry about my specific part and everybody else is keeping track of their specific part. And that cuts both ways where I don't have to worry about what everybody else is working on. I just have to know that it's getting done. On the other hand, it means that I don't get to have things done the way I'd prefer them to. But usually everybody else does a pretty good job and they did a very good job this semester. My teammates are great this semester. Okay, so for something like that, like something like Hack and Plan, which is like the Trello for web design, I use that too, would be helpful, or Trello, or like you said, Excel. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, just making sure everybody knows what they have to do and can figure out what their part is. All right, well, I think that wraps up our first episode. Ripley, thanks for being on. Oh, thank you um, for having the me. First episode of the Game Dev Grit podcast. Hopefully we got into some of the grit and pulled out some helpful stuff for somebody. So um, as you go forward, though, I'd like to have you back on again so we can see, you know, what you've learned and what's going on with your project. So absolutely. Cool. So thank you for being on. Hope you have a great day. Bye.